everyone. You too? Welcome to 2017. Uh, don't you enjoy these celebration Sundays when everyone's together all in one service? I think it's great. How many of you stayed up all night last night? <laughs> yeah. Why do we do that kind of stuff? I, I know why they do it, because they're weird. They're young. You know, they, they want to stay up all night. Yeah, well. Um, yeah, so I know a bunch of the youth stayed up all night, but that's, I told my kids that's no excuse for sleeping through the sermon. So you chose to do that. No one forced you. Um, so the last time Pastor Brandon asked me to preach, uh, I decided I wanted to preach through the book of Philippians, and I know that that can't be done adequately in one sermon, so I'm going to continue preaching through the book of Philippians, uh, and that's where we'll be today, and so it was easy for me to decide where, where I was going to start. Um, so if you have your Bibles, I would like you to get your Bibles out and follow along with me as we read the Word of God in the book of Philippians. Chapter 1. And we'll be starting in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this new day. We thank you for this new year. We ask, Lord, that as we've read your word and we continue to look at your word this morning, 
that you would be with us, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear and receive what you have provided for us. I pray, God, that each of us would reflect on our lives. We would take these words and apply them. And God, that you would help us through your spirit to have understanding. Help us not to ignore it. Help us to hear and listen and do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So last time uh, I preached, we went through the first 11 verses of Philippians 1, and we talked about the affection of Christ. And that was a term that Paul used when he wrote to the uh, Philippian Christians to describe how he felt about them, uh, that this affection that he had for them was from deep within. Uh, and the word translated affection actually meant, meant bowels. I don't know if you remember that we talked about that, but... Um, that he longed for them from his bowels. And it was the affection of Christ because that's how Christ cares for us. Christ loves us in such a way. And so this group of people that Paul felt very strongly about, that's what he was communicating to them um, the last time that I preached. We talked about where that relationship began between Paul and these Philippian Christians and how it began with Paul's obedience to the Holy Spirit who directed him to go to Macedonia and where he ended up in Philippi. And we saw how God worked through him um, as they shared the gospel with um, Lydia and the group of women praying down by the water, and how God opened Lydia's heart to hear the message of the gospel. And we saw how Paul and Silas were beaten because they cast an evil spirit out of a young slave girl who others made money off of because she was a fortune teller. Uh, they didn't like that very much. And Paul and Silas were, were beaten for that and were, were thrown in prison there in Philippi. And they spent their time in prison singing hymns and praising God. Uh, as everyone else listened, including the jailer. At midnight, God caused a great earthquake that shook the foundations of the jail. And the stocks that they had been fastened in fell off and the doors were opened. The jailer woke up, probably shouldn't have been sleeping, but, you know, which is probably what led to the next part, where the jailer saw this, and he drew his sword with the intent on killing himself. But Paul called out to him in a loud voice and told him not to harm himself because they were all still there. Not just Paul and Silas. He said they were all still there. And that jailer's response to that was, what must I do to be saved? That jailer was saved and his family was saved through the preaching of the gospel from Paul and Silas by their example in prison of praising God in their circumstances. We need to remember now that these events actually took place 11 or 12 years before Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. After those events, Paul and Silas were released from prison. They continued on their journey of spreading the gospel wherever they went. And we went over that last time, like I said, to talk about their relationship and how it was built and where it came from and why he felt the way he did about those Christians. And Paul is someone who feels deeply not only for the Christians in Philippi, but everywhere he goes and shares the gospel, he has a, a place in his heart for those believers. 
If you want to read the story of where and why Paul was in prison this time, because now he's in Rome writing this letter, and he's in prison again. And he's writing this letter to encourage the Philippians. And this particular section that we're going to look at today is kind of dealing with his imprisonment. And so to, go, going to look at that, where that all came from, you can go to Acts chapter 21 through 28. You don't have to do it right now, but it's, it's a major ordeal that Paul went through to end up in Rome, where he was at. And God orchestrated all of that to get Paul there. And so it has taken about two years from the time Paul was arrested in Jerusalem to finally be in Rome. But this is right where he wants to be. The fact that he is in custody has not stopped him from preaching the gospel. And that is the message he is sending to the brothers and sisters in Philippi. Now we started in verse 12 today. I want to look at verse 12 again. And Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I was in Paul's situation and I was writing this letter, I would probably be saying, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me is really bad. And I want you to work on getting me out of here. And, you know, I I don't like this. Um, And Paul didn't do that. He wanted them to know that this imprisonment is really serving to advance the gospel. The gospel is making progress in spite of his circumstances. He doesn't have the mindset of his own comfort and those sort of things. He knows that the Christians, in, Christians in Philippi will be concerned for him and thinking his imprisonment isn't a good thing at all. But Paul uses this letter as an opportunity to tell them and encourage them about what God is accomplishing through the preaching of the gospel. And he says that what this imprisonment is really doing is advancing the gospel, or the gospel is progressing. It's being preached to people that otherwise he wouldn't have occasion to preach to or access to. Let's go in your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. It's the last chapter in the book of Acts. And again, like I said earlier, it's part of, it's sort of the ending of uh, Paul's story of going to Rome for this imprisonment. Acts chapter 28, and we're going to go from verses 16 to 24 and then 30 to 31, just to give a little context here. Acts 28, 16. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished They wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, 
And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And skipping down to verse 30 and 31. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is an interesting setting. Here Paul's a prisoner in chains being guarded, but he has to pay for his own lodging. Um, And he has a Roman guard with him all the time. And he's also allowed to have guests come over. And like we saw there, this went on for two years. Back in Philippians, if you'll turn back there. Uh, Verse 13 He continues, after talking about how this has served to advance the gospel, he says, So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. It's almost like the guards are Paul's prisoners. They have to work shifts. They have to come and be chained. I don't know if they're chained, but they have to come and be there with him. So they're hearing this preaching. And I don't know if Paul had guests there all the time, but... I can imagine there was a lot of one-on-one time between Paul and and a Roman guard. What an amazing opportunity for Paul, and and he doesn't let it go by. He says, in fact, that this message has gone out to the the whole imperial guard. This message of Jesus Christ to the whole imperial guard. I don't know how many that is, um, but I'm assuming it's a lot. And in a two-year period, I'm sure they've all worked shifts there guarding Paul. And also what he mentioned there is all the rest. Who who are all the rest that he's talking about? Well, what we read there in Acts, it tells us about those Jews who he invited to come and hear the message. And many of them wanted to come and hear this message. They had only heard that this sect or Christianity was spoken negatively against. They wanted to hear about it and know what he was talking about. And some believed and some did not. And this goes on for two years. Verse 14, he says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So another effect of Paul being in custody and preaching the gospel and those people that God is saving is that other believers are becoming more bold and confident in sharing their own testimony with others. And their fear is going away. Their fear of testifying about Jesus Christ is going away. So there's a boldness that comes when we see God's faithfulness to other believers, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Verses 15 through 17. Some indeed, talking about these people who are preaching. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. 
the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Okay? So there's two groups of people here. There's those who are preaching the gospel with a right attitude, and there are those who are preaching the gospel with a wrong attitude. Those who do it sincerely and out of love, and those who do it out of envy and rivalry and for selfish ambition and for the advancement of themselves. Also, these people, Paul says, are doing it to afflict him in prison. And how does Paul feel about these few whose motives are impure? Well, verse 18, he says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that, and in that I rejoice. So, so he says, what then? Basically saying, big deal or whatever. You know, what's important is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached. And he isn't saying that the wrong motives of these guys are okay. It appears he's okay with letting God deal with them whenever God would deal with them. And perhaps that would be through other believers who might confront them about their wrong attitudes. Perhaps they're making things up about Paul while he's in custody, about him being some sort of sinner who he's in custody because he's a sinner. He's done something to deserve being there. It doesn't really go into all of their motives and why they're doing what they're doing. But Paul is saying, I'm so excited that the gospel is being preached. Now, we shouldn't mistake this for um, Paul being okay with any kind of false teaching. Though their motives are questionable, these people, according to what we read here, are actually preaching the gospel. And when he talks about pretense or truth, he's referring to the motives of these people that are preaching the gospel and not some false message. Paul would not be excited about these people preaching a false gospel, a false message. He is not one to allow a false teaching about Christ to stand with no confrontation. In the setting of church leadership, the character of a man having selfish ambition and these kinds of bad motives as a pastor are actually disqualifiers from being a shepherd of God's people. Here, insofar as the gospel is being preached in truth, Paul is rejoicing. That's what Paul is focused on. Look at verse 19 and 20. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul has joy in the advancement and progress of the gospel. He goes on to tell the people what else brings him joy. The prayers of his fellow Christians, the prayers of those believers in Philippi. That brings him joy. The the help of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ in the midst of his circumstances, that brings him joy. The gospel brings him joy. 
His joy is not tied to or dictated by his circumstances. His joy is found not in any circumstances, but in the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This gives him an eager expectation and hope. And Paul is really talking about the hope of the gospel and what is to come at at the return of Jesus Christ. Eager expectation, he says. I remember as a kid an occasion where my parents took my brother and I to Southern California to go to uh, Magic Mountain. Um, I'm sure many of you have been there. And if you've ever been there, you know that as you're going, you're traveling on the highway and you come out of the mountains, there comes a time where you can actually see the park. I remember seeing the big white roller coaster, the big wooden roller coaster there. I can't remember what it's called. Does anybody remember what it's called? Colossus. There you go. It's big. And as a, as a little kid, I remember it being really big. Uh, and so I remember seeing it at a distance. And you get this glimpse of it, and, and I sit forward in my seat, and, and I, I lean forward as if somehow a few inches closer, the car is going to get me there faster, right? But you're, you're, you're so excited about it that, that you know what's coming, and you've been waiting for it, this long journey. And so you lean forward in eager expectation of getting there. And this is the kind of eager expectation that Paul has, the eager expectation of the gospel, of everything having to do with the gospel, of everything that Jesus Christ did and the return of Jesus Christ. This is eager expectation. And Paul has full courage now as always. Not that he will get payback, not that the Romans will get what's coming to them, but that Christ will be honored in anything that might happen to his body or his life. And Paul explains this in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's really describing a win-win situation, that the Christian life is a win-win situation. This is a way of thinking that doesn't work if we're clinging to the things of the world. But if we cling to what matters most, which is Christ in us and Christ in others, everything else can and should be measured against that. 1 Corinthians 2.2, if we can get that up on the screen Davy, 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2. there we go. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Paul here in Corinthians is not saying that you know, th- this is the only thing he knows anything about. What he's saying is, is this is so important. It's more important than anything else that this message needs to go out. You need to know this. And I am determined that I will talk about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And everything is measured by that. Everything is brought back to that point. Verse 22 and 23. He says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He says, if I live, 
Christ is honored in my fruitful labor of spreading the gospel. If I'm killed for the sake of the gospel, Christ is honored in my body. And I have gain of eternity with him that is far better. And that is the goal of Christians. He says, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He's going back and forth between these two. And, and don't be confused here. Paul is not contemplating suicide, okay? <laughs> he, he knows that his life is in danger always. It's been in danger many times. And he knows that his life is in danger depending on the decisions made by the Romans about what to do with him. And perhaps he's thinking about what he should be praying for. He's also reminding the Philippian Christians that what is far better than anything else, and that is to be with Christ and to be done with the pain and suffering of the flesh. But Paul is not giving up here. Don't look at this as Paul giving up. He goes on in 24 and 25. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He says it's more necessary on your account. And he's convinced of it. So Paul's convinced here that he will be released. He will go and see his brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi again. And, and it's necessary. These Christians that he's writing to, they need something. They need something that Paul can give them, and that is more of the word of God. And Paul knows that he can help them. He knows that they can encourage one another. They have growing to do, and he's convinced that this is why God is not done with him on earth yet. He says he will continue with them all for their progress and joy in the faith. And he says it is necessary. Progress and joy is necessary. What is progress and joy in the faith? Can we somehow be saved more than we already are? No, Christ paid our debt, and we are free now to live in him. We can, however, make progress in this life and how we live this life in Christ. We have to realize, though, that there is no progress apart from the gospel. It is only because of the gospel that we could ever have any thought of pleasing God, any thought of doing what's right. It's only because of the gospel. The way we make progress is by knowing what we're supposed to do. The only place we can get that information is from the word of God, and it is necessary for us. Next slide, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction. Well, apparently we need those things. If Scripture is profitable for that, we need it. The Scriptures are full of instruction for the life of a Christian about what to get rid of to make progress, and it also tells us what to replace those things with. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4.
Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. How many of you need progress in those areas? Some of them. All of them? We need progress. We, we don't do these things well. And the scriptures are good for this. They're good for showing us this. And how is it possible for, ma- for us to make progress in these areas? It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not on our own merit. It's not something we can accomplish by ourselves. And why is it necessary to glorify God? God is glorified in this. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 2. It's the next slide. Again, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. What do newborn infants do? They desire, yeah, they cry, right? They desire something. You know, it's, it's the milk that comes from their mother. They, they need it for growth. In fact, they don't tolerate anything else when they're infants. That's, that's what helps them grow. That's what they desire. They hunger for it, so much so that they cry out for it. They don't know anything else. They don't know um, what else there is out there. They don't know anything about meat or anything like that. It's just, I need this. And they hunger and they cry out for it. And it's what gives them growth. And it's the only thing that will satisfy them. That pure spiritual milk is the word of God. It's pure because it's true. It is the truth of God. And it has the power to cause us to grow and mature in our faith and to make progress. We need to long for it as a newborn infant longs for that milk. And what about joy? Paul mentioned joy. Where does our joy come from? As Paul showed us in his chains, our joy as Christians do not depend, does not depend on our circumstances. If our joy was dependent on our circumstances, we would never be able to have real joy. Sometimes we Christians live like and act like we have no joy. Really? (laughs) We do. This life is full of pain and suffering. We all know that. And what brings us joy is the transforming power of God working in our lives. And he deserves all of our praise as our faith is tested and refined through hardship. He deserves all of our praise. Turn your Bibles 
to Psalm chapter 92. Psalm 92, verses 1 through 4. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Has God done works in your life? You have reason for joy? We cannot look at our joy as being tied to our circumstances because it is not. Like our progress, it is only possible to have joy because of the gospel. It is everything. We must look at everything through our salvation in Jesus Christ. Every Bible passage you read that ends with the words, in Christ Jesus, is reminding us of that. It's in Christ. The last slide we have here is Habakkuk. Whoever goes to Habakkuk? We need to go to Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Where is the focus of joy there? In my salvation. When we live as if our progress and joy is found in our own strength and in our, own, and in our circumstances, we will be disappointed every time. It is impossible apart from the gospel. So instead of making a New Year's resolution, let's make a New Day's resolution every single day that we will study the Word of God, and constantly be reminded who we are in Christ Jesus and that it is only because of Him that we can do anything. A New Year's resolutions are typically about all that I will accomplish this next year, all that I will do in my own strength, and I will fail at that. It's only through Christ who gives us strength that we can do all things. So when you reflect on your life and you reflect on this past year, Christian, have you made progress? Do you have joy? Are you less angry and bitter than you were last year? Are you more forgiving of others as Christ forgave you? Or are you holding on to those things? Are you holding on to unforgiveness? Is there someone that you need to forgive today? Do you know more about God's Word than you did last year? Do you get your Bible off the shelf? Do you read it? Do you learn it? That's how we know how to live as Christians. That's how we're reminded that it's the salvation of God that brings us joy and allows us to have any kind of progress. Without it, we're stagnant, and we are not meant to be stagnant Christians with no joy. Remember, 
remember. Remember what Christ has done. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to be reminded each day as we read your word, as we think about what you've done for us, as we think about your salvation that you've given us. May it be the most important thing in our life. May it be that that we measure everything else against. Help us not to go to dark places in our mind in the midst of difficult circumstances, but to go right back to our salvation. It's everything, Lord. We thank you for what Christ did on the cross, that I can be free from my sin. Thank you for your word that I can read and learn and make progress in this life here, as long as you have me here. Help me not to tie my joy to my circumstances. Lord, you give us the strength to do this. Let us remember these things. Let us rejoice in our salvation, the God of our salvation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing the last song, I just ask that you would reflect on this last year and reflect on your life. Only you and God know what things you need to do in your life to make progress. And remember that you don't do it on your own. It's through the word of God and the power that it has to transform and change our lives. And we have joy in Jesus Christ. And perhaps you don't know Christ. You haven't trusted Christ. Trust him today. I'll be down here if anybody would like to pray about anything or if you need to just stand there and just sing or stand there and pray and just thanking God. Let's, let's have a, a 2017 full of joy. Let's not live like people that don't have salvation. We have salvation in Jesus Christ.